This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. The Red Badge of Courage by Stephen Crane. Chapter 24. Read by Sandra in Wales, United Kingdom. August 2006. The roarings that had stretched in a long line of sound across the face of the forest began to grow intermittent and weaker. The stentorian speeches of the artillery continued in some distant encounter, but the crashes of the musketry had almost ceased. The youth and his friend of a sudden looked up, feeling a deadened form of distress at the waning of these noises, which had become a part of life. They could see changes going on among the troops. There were marchings this way and that way. A battery wheeled leisurely. On the crest of a small hill was the thick gleam of many departing muskets. The youth arose. "'Well, what now, I wonder?' he said. By his tone he seemed to be preparing to resent some new monstrosity in the way of dins and smashes. He shaded his eyes with his grimy hand and gazed over the field. His friend also arose and stared. "'I bet we're going to get along out of this and back over the river,' said he. "'Well, I swan,' said the youth. They waited, watching. Within a little while the regiment received orders to retrace its way. The men got up, grunting from the grass, regretting the soft repose. They jerked their stiffened legs and stretched their arms over their heads. One man swore as he rubbed his eyes. They all groaned, "'Oh, Lord!' They had as many objections to this change as they would have had to a proposal for a new battle. They trampled slowly back over the field across which they had run in a mad scamper. The regiment marched until it had joined its fellows. The reformed brigade, in column, aimed through a wood at the road. Directly they were in a mass of dust-covered troops, and were trudging along in a way parallel to the enemy's lines, as these had been defined by the previous turmoil. They passed within view of a stolid white house, and saw in front of it groups of their comrades lying in wait behind a neat breastwork. A row of guns were booming at a distant enemy. Shells thrown in reply were raising clouds of dust and splinters. Horsemen dashed along the line of entrenchments. At this point of its march the division curved away from the field and went winding off in the direction of the river. When the significance of this movement had impressed itself upon the youth, he turned his head and looked over his shoulder toward the trampled and debris-strewn ground. He breathed a breath of new satisfaction. He finally nudged his friend. "'Well, it's all over,' he said to him. His friend gazed backward. "'But God it is,' he assented. They mused. For a time the youth was obliged to reflect in a puzzled and uncertain way. His mind was undergoing a subtle change. It took moments for it to cast off its battleful ways and resume its accustomed course of thought. Gradually his brain emerged from the clogged clouds, and at last he was enabled to more closely comprehend himself and circumstance. He understood then that the existence of shot and countershot was in the past. He had dwelt in a land of strange, squalling upheavals, and had come forth— he had been where there was red of blood and black of passion, and he was escaped. His first thoughts were given to rejoicings at this fact. Later he began to study his deeds, his failures, and his achievements. Thus, fresh from scenes where many of his usual machines of reflection had been idle, 
From where he had proceeded sheep-like, he struggled to marshal all his acts. At last they marched before him clearly. From this present viewpoint he was enabled to look upon them in spectator fashion and criticize them with some correctness, for his new condition had already defeated certain sympathies. Regarding his procession of memory he felt gleeful and unregretting, for in it his public deeds were paraded in great and shining prominence. Those performances which had been witnessed by his fellows marched now in wide purple and gold, having various deflections. They went gaily with music. It was pleasure to watch these things. He spent delightful minutes viewing the gilded images of memory. He saw that he was good. He recalled with a thrill of joy the respectful comments of his fellows upon his conduct. Nevertheless, the ghost of his flight from the first engagement appeared to him and danced. There were small shoutings in his brain about these matters. For a moment he blushed, and the light of his soul flickered with shame. A specter of reproach came to him. There loomed the dogging memory of the tattered soldier, he who, gored by bullets and faint of blood, had fretted concerning an imagined wound in another, he who had loaned his last of strength and intellect for the tall soldier, he who, blind with weariness and pain, had been deserted in the field. For an instant a wretched chill of sweat was upon him at the thought that he might be detected in the thing. As he stood persistently before his vision, he gave vent to a cry of sharp irritation and agony. His friend turned. "'What's the matter, Henry?' he demanded. The youth's reply was an outburst of crimson oaths. As he marched along the little branch-hung roadway among his prattling companions, this vision of cruelty brooded over him. It clung near him always and darkened his view of these deeds in purple and gold. Whichever way his thoughts turned, they were followed by the sombre phantom of the desertion in the fields. He looked stealthily at his companions, feeling sure that they must discern in his face evidences of this pursuit. But they were plodding in ragged array, discussing with quick tongues the accomplishments of the late battle. "'Oh, if a man should come up and ask me, I'd say we got a dumb good lickin'. "'Lickin' in your eye! We ain't licked, Sonny! We're goin' down here away, swing round, and come in behind em. "'Oh, hush with your comin' in behind em. I've seen all of that I wanna. Don't tell me about comin' in behind.' Bill Smithers, he says he'd rather be in ten hundred battles than been in that hell of a hospital. He says they got shootin' in the night-time, and shells dropped plung among em in the hospital. He says such hollerin' he never see. Hasbrook, he's the best officer of this here regiment. He's a whale. Didn't I tell you we'd come in around behind him? Didn't I tell you so? We— Oh, shut your mouth! For a time this pursuing recollection of the tattered man took all elation from the youth's veins. He saw his vivid error, and he was afraid that it would stand before him all his life. He took no share in the chatter of his comrades, nor did he look at them or know them, save when he felt sudden suspicion that they were seeing his thoughts, and scrutinizing each detail of the scene with the tattered soldier. Yet gradually he mustered force to put the sin at a distance, and at last his eyes seemed to open to some new ways. He found that he could look back upon the brass and bombast of his earlier gospels and see them truly. He was gleeful when he discovered that now he despised them. With this conviction came a store of assurance. He felt a quiet manhood, 
non-assertive but of sturdy and strong blood. He knew that he would no more quail before his guides wherever they should point. He had been to touch the great death, and found that, after all, it was but the great death. He was a man. So it came to pass that as he trudged from the place of blood and wrath his soul changed. He came from hot plowshares to prospects of clover tranquillity, and it was as if hot plowshares were not. Scars faded as flowers. It rained. The procession of weary soldiers became a bedraggled train, despondent and muttering, marching with churning effort in a trough of liquid brown mud under a low, wretched sky. Yet the youth smiled, for he saw that the world was a world for him, though many discovered it to be made of oaths and walking sticks. He had rid himself of the red sickness of battle. The sultry nightmare was in the past. He had been an animal blistered and sweating in the heat and pain of war. He turned now with a lover's thirst to images of tranquil skies, fresh meadows, cool brooks, an existence of soft and eternal peace. Over the river a golden ray of sun came through the hosts of leaden rain-clouds. That is the end of The Red Badge of Courage by Stephen Crane First published in 1895